0: Dogma. Good morning, Anthony. How are you? Good morning,
1: James. I am doing pretty good. Ready to get this conversation started. And
0: cup of coffee, I'm sure, to get the motor running. Uh well, I'm 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 on my first cup of
1: coffee. So uh we're I'm kind of a diesel engine this morning, but I'll be I'm ready to go. Well,
0: I want to welcome everybody. This is the Sacred Stew. Uh, I'm your host, James, and this is my co-host, Anthony, with me, and you've arrived at the destination for anything dealing with Germanic polytheism, theology, history, if it has to do with our folk and our culture and our spirituality, uh, that's what we talk about. That's what the sacred stew is about. So I want to thank everybody that listens and follows us and shares our podcast. We are growing Uh, We're getting lots of people that are contacting us, complimenting us on our podcast, and we love all of you. You're part of the reason why we do this, Um, share this information, the knowledge that Anthony and I have in our discussions. Anthony, do you have anything you'd like to say to our listeners? Just appreciate the support, the engagement.
1: You know, it's it's nice to be appreciated for the work that we do, you know, neither one of us are scholars by any real definition of the word we just know a few things and we like to explore subjects and talk to each other and i find it very humbling that people find a value in our discussions
0: so you know just uh thank you we really appreciate all of you guys listening to our conversations um and even though we may not be scholars by the definition of it We are people that are very well studied uh, and uh, take our spirituality very serious. Um, But with that said, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about and follow up uh, with our episode last week which uh, I've actually got quite a few people that have uh, commented to me about it. Uh, and It also seems to have raised a little bit of discussion in the heathen community. and this discussion does pop up from time to time, we'll, we'll see the arguments of monists and hardcore polytheists, uh, but it, it is an, an interesting discussion and in how it is kind of a dividing line for some people, and it kind of makes people choose sides in the sense of what do we actually believe, what is the truth, because many people don't think that uh, our Germanic faith has all the answers and provides us guidance for our lives. And so they always search in other places for, you know, uh, some type of understanding or, or knowledge and spiritual connectedness to to something greater than themselves. So before we do touch on that and reply to those things, um, I just want to say that we have a couple events coming up Anthony Uh, we have folks giving which is a tradition that we have in our house where we gather our close friends and families and kindred together and partake and remember those and be thankful for those that have come before us Um, I guess many people would call it like the feast of the Einherar in that sense is kind of the the mood that we take And then also we have the Norvest 30 Kindred up in the Seattle area that uh, has a Yule uh, event coming up on December 3rd. I want to mention that. Uh, I will be there. We also have Yule time coming up and we should devote an episode to Yule itself. I have some interesting perspectives on that. and. I'd like to definitely share my tradition that we have in my house that I think people would find fun to do with their children and families. Um, And then also, I want to make mention of, because my daughter listens to our episodes pretty religiously, she likes them. And uh, I want to reference the fact that part of the reason that I got into community building was for my children themselves and um my daughter asked me last week after listening to last week's episode that if because i read the letter from pope gregory uh if she were to write a letter would i share it on our podcast and i said sure so anthony do you mind if i share this letter
1: no uh you're your, uh, your wife showed uh, put the letter in the group chat, and that pulled on my heartstrings
0: a little bit, so absolutely read it. All right, so this is uh, titled My Point of View by Hope. I once felt like I was the only kid in the whole world who was Norse. Every time I got into the box with everyone, they would just throw me out. I told my dad... And in a couple weeks, my dad introduced me to a new, friendly, safe community, the Pacific Northwest Wolfpack. These people were amazing. They were Norse. It was mostly adults, but I did see a bundle of kids. Now today I have friends, Norse friends. I am allowed in the box, and I am happy in Norse. Hail. I thought that was a pretty amazing letter, con- especially considering her age.
1: I say, it kind of pulled on my heart a little bit because, for those of you that have heard me talk about it before, I was raised Jehovah Witness, and I was always the only one. Like, I couldn't do the Pledge of Allegiance. I didn't. I wasn't able to celebrate birthdays or any holidays. So I was always the odd kid out. So, you know, I, I. I I can relate to how she felt and then just be happy for her that she was able to be introduced to a group of people where she doesn't feel like she's out of the box where she's able to be in the box in at such an early age, like, and just as she's smart enough to recognize that that little girl is going to be freaking something, man. Let me tell you.
0: Yeah, no, she's amazing. And, uh, I think it's an important aspect, uh, for us to, think about with our children you know especially in today's modern age and this is what drove me from being a solitary practitioner to being a communal practitioner had to deal with my children Uh, my children would go to school they would feel like they were the only ones that practice yule and all these other traditions and the kids would think their their religion was weird And I would tell them, you know, no, no, we're not the only ones that believe this. And eventually, you know, it just got to a point where I was like, my children literally thought we are the only people in the whole world that believe these things. So that drove me to begin reaching out to various communities, uh, searching for the right ones. And then I, being in the Pacific Northwest, uh, the right one was the Pacific Northwest Wolf Pack. And um, it was a great thing to get involved with. It uh, allowed my children to be around other uh, pagan, Germanic pagans that practice this religion and take it seriously. And this that's what it's about. It's about our children. That's why I invest my time in this. You know, and that foundation is what, you know, brings about change in our folk and belief is building those communities and those connections. When are you going to have your kid, Anthony? Sometime soon-ish. So, we did a baby naming ceremony for our kinsman, Kurt, last week, Millie. Uh, That's the first time you've ever been a part of a ceremony like that, right? Yeah. And this kind of touches home with the doing it for the kids thing too what did you think about it
1: i liked it you know like i the energy in the room was just all of giving gifts to the child so they already start out in life with something you know material you know because like i always say like we have spiritual goals and principles but we also live in this material world so we need to approach both but that child came into the world with more support than just her parents. And that is such a rare thing these days that I I honestly believe that that baby girl is going to have a great, great life. And I mean, she'll struggle as we all do, but she'll never have to struggle by herself. And that just that thought is another is another thing that there's just so many kids that
0: they don't have that. Right. Well, I mean, we live in what they call a black pilled society, <laughs> where there seems to be no hope for a lot of people. and uh, it's really crazy how it's, it's taken root where people today don't even want to have children. You know, and it's like they'd rather spend their lives flying around the world, um, just living their life, as they, they call it, uh, without actually experiencing the purpose of life. And that's cre- creating the next generation of our folk.
1: Well, and on that same frame of thought, I I heard something one time that really struck a chord with me. It was if somebody doesn't have children from their parents up every single person that live, worked, suffered and died to continue their family line by the, those that choose to not have children and carry on that line have pretty much disregarded and disrespected the struggle of all the generations before like whatever you think might be wrong in the world today something's always been wrong in the world that doesn't mean you just stop your family line that doesn't mean you just negate the struggles of those that came before you and you might just be living your life now but when you get older and you don't have any anyone around you you will be miserable as much as people don't want to hear that. Like that's the truth. in my 32 years, I have never met a childless adult, male or female that spent their, their life just seeking experiences that ever felt fulfilled for the things they have or the places that they went. There's, always always a big hole and some will recognize that it's because they never had children and some will just choose to ignore it
0: i saw in the chat somebody discussing his job and uh, at their job they he was around like a few co-workers and they're discussing different things and uh one of the co-workers is a young ukrainian woman and uh they're having a discussion about global warming or whatever and and uh one of the the coworkers had suggested that in 100 years the planet's going to be too hot for everybody to live on and without us getting into the discussion of global warming and, and this and that uh, i don't really want to touch that yet but uh the ukrainian woman was essentially just black-pilled, like, well, I don't even think I want to have kids. Why would I even want to bring them into a world like this uh, if the world's not even going to be around? Um, there's a lot of people that think like that. That's actually a, a thing. It's a, it's an illness, I, I believe, that's just taking and grabbing the souls of these people.
1: I'm just going to agree because we're not going to get into... Uh global warming and all the conspiracy stuff. (laughs) We're not doing that in this episode.
0: I guess, you know, in touching on the family, I think actually brings a good follow-up to last week's episode uh, where we uh, talked a little bit about uh, the Western philosophy and how it's failed the Western man. And if you're just tuning in and you haven't listened to our previous episodes, Um, Last week's episode, I had several people contact us about how good it was. Go back, listen to it, um, because we break down how our folk essentially uh, were subvertly brought into a foreign religion, and a lot of it deals with philosophy and how it's Subverted the ideas and concepts of our gods and our traditions. So go back and listen to it, catch up on that, because this follow up conversation is already presuming that you understand what we're talking about, the context of it. Um, anyways, with that said, Anthony, what are some things you'd like to follow up on uh, about last week's episode? I guess the first two things that come to mind is. You know, and kind of
1: going off, you know, the community bit that we just talked about is the, it's, and it might be cliche, it might be overplayed, but the importance of not being a solo practitioner, and this is speaking as somebody that I've been a heathen for eight years now, going on nine, and my first six years, I was a solo practitioner, And I mean, I flirted with other organizations before the Wolfpack and, you know, the first two kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, but to our ancestors living in isolation from the greater community was a death sentence and that was physical as well as spiritual. And granted, in today's age, we have a... It's very easy to find mundane connections, if you choose to. Um. But when you come into this faith, finding that spiritual connection can often be difficult. But it is important. You know, like for you, you you weren't you weren't really into organizations for a while, but you started raising your children, and your children need that sense of community. Even we as a, even we as adults, we need that sense of community. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not going I'm not going to go as far as saying that choosing to practice as a solo practitioner is wrong oftentimes in areas that's the only option you have but you should still try to reach out and make connections with people even if you're only talking over a group chat any social media platforms whatever you're still building some type of connection and that is a big part of this religion is building connections, building community. Because when we have strong families and strong communities, we don't just survive, we
0: thrive. What would you say to people? Because because I, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but what would you say to people? Because in the discussion that's transpired in many chats online since our last episode uh, regarding uh, this uh, platonic, sort of spiritualism um, versus our traditional Germanic polytheism is I heard somebody say in reply that, you know, the Germanic people just didn't uh, get to the point, evolved to the point where they would have adopted like this platonic worldview and that essentially the way that they understood the God was because the gods is because of them still living in a primitive state in the forests without, you know, huge centers of populations or cities, and that these philosophies were better understood whenever huge cities or communes of people lived together and were able to develop these ideas um, because they weren't actually faced with the Uh, natural consequences of nature itself that they are struggling and battling against.
1: Again, I'm not a scholar, so I have to give the simple man's perspective. And some smart guy out there is going to probably attack me for this and say, I don't know what I'm talking about. But I would argue that they didn't have it because they didn't need it. Because they, our ancestors, very much had an understanding that we are descended from our gods physically and spiritually. And they under, living in nature the way they did, They the way they did, they had an innate understanding that there was no, what we today would call a singularity. There was no single source. Everything was in multiplicity. I think if our folk had been allowed had been allowed, had been left alone and allowed to continue to grow and thrive, these bigger cities, bigger heathen cities would have eventually come to a thing. And I do not believe they would have accepted Platonism because they would have viewed it as a heresy, same way most of the Romans did in the early stages before. The big brain guys, big brain betas, forced their opinions down the throat through subversion. Like, there's no all from an outside perspective, all looking at history, all Platonism, all Platonism and Neoplatonism has done is destroy communities. It puts such an emphasis on the individual that the individuals then disregard the greater communities that they are in and they degenerate into into absolutely nothing. Just that thought by itself would have been enough for our ancestors to be like, no, we don't want this. We do not accept this. This is wrong.
0: Right. And, you know, I would add into that argument that uh, it's an illusion that the city life created by the Greeks and the Romans uh, was an illusion. It was an illusion that natural forces uh, still did not have consequences uh, for the action and the debauchery that happened in these places that uh, essentially accepted these Neoplatonic views and propagated more various philosophies like Stoicism and Nihilism. it developed essentially this illusion that one was separated from from nature itself. Whereas our folk recognized that that's not actually the case and they rejected it. And I want to read some people's comments here and I don't know if they're in direct reply to our discussion on our podcast, but I I do know that um, some of these folks do listen to our podcast, at least from time to time. But uh, what kind of knocked this discussion or got the discussion going was a post by uh, Tom Roswell, uh, also known as Survive the Jive. And I have to say I love Tom. His work is great. I don't, you know, as with anything, agree with everything he says or all of his perspectives, uh, but uh, he is somebody doing immense work for our folk. and helps educate our folk on our history. So, Tom, uh, my conversation and comments tonight in no way reflect my opinion of you because I think very highly of you. So, let's get to that. Where is that at? All right. So, Tom wrote just a couple days ago, My view on Platonism among heathens is simple. No one can claim that a heathen has to be a Platonist, or that if allowed to continue heathens would have adopted Platonic philosophy, just as every other religion in the West did. We can't know that. Therefore, we cannot scorn those heathens who reject Platonism. Also, no one can claim Platonism is a heresy among heathens as nothing like this is expressed anywhere by any heathen source. In fact, What we know about Germanic heathens is that they were extremely flexible, allowing the incorporation of lapis shamanism and even Christianity and idols of Christ in temples, at least in some cases. People on either side trying to establish an orthodox dogma, which opposes the other, are being dishonest. What are your initial thoughts on on his comments there?
1: So I agree with the first bit that we cannot that the gist of what he said is we cannot attack those that do or do not bring in neoplatonism to their heathenry simply simply for the fact of there are there are just some things that right now I don't feel are worth the fight and if somebody as an individual wants to do that, I'm going to disagree respectfully, hopefully be able to convince them otherwise, as I assume they would try with me. Um, but with the second bit, uh, about, about uh, trying to establish dogma, a lot of people throw that word around without actually knowing what it means. And I'm I, I very much, I am not saying Tom does not. Um, but I just want to give a, f- for the sake of what I'm saying, I'm just going to give the definition of dogma. Uh, I'm at dictionary.com if anybody wants to look it up to verify what I'm saying. But there's four points. So dogma is... An official system of principles or tenets concerning faith, moral behavior, etc. as of a church. A specific tenet or doctrine, authority laid down as by a church. Prescribed doctrine proclaimed as unquestionably unquestionably true by a particular group. A settled or established opinion, belief, or principle. So uh, I want to... I wanted to take the church bit out of there, but I wanted to read it verbatim. Um, any religion is going to have an official system or principles of tenets concerning faith, morals, and behavior. Any religion is going to have a specific tenet or doctrine authority, authoritatively laid down. Any religion is going to have a prescribed doctrine proclaimed as unquestionably true by that particular group and any religion is going to have a settled or established opinion, belief, or principle. So whether you want to incorporate neoplatonism or not, the the approach is still an attempt to establish a dogma. I honestly feel like the difference is Those that embrace neoplatonism are focused on the individual, and we see that in the universalist approach and how that's working for them. And those that are not embracing neoplatonism have a more folkish point of view and we see how well that's working for us. So, and granted, there's exceptions to every rule, but I would I would say that the the general rules are showing, and that that's both again both sides are attempting to establish a dogma, and I wouldn't I would not say they are being dishonest, uh, but those that are bringing in the neoplatonism do not completely understand the spirit of
0: our ancestors exactly and um, this is important for people to understand is we reject that dogma as not being from our folk or our traditions or our cosmology of our faith so there's actually a word in our religion for this it's called true Natur which means of good or correct faith. That's the word for our dogma. So we, we know, because this used, word is used in a lot of the law books of the Germanic folk, specifically the Guzgoragas, the Icelandic guragas, um, this is something that we all have to understand, accept that within this faith there was a correct way to practice it. We know that because of the laws that have been recorded. That is the, the word. And the opposite of that word is a trunador, which means not of good faith. And it's a position that is lacking proper knowledge of the faith, the religion, the beliefs, and those who ignore the sacred literature and depend on their own flawed or ego-tainted worldviews that they have. Uh, so there are words for people that properly practice the faith and the belief system. So I want to lead that into a reply that Dave Martell, who is another great person to listen to, he's he's done a lot of videos in the past with the Bog, and I really appreciate his opinions on a lot of things. As with Tom, I don't always agree. Necessarily with Dave's opinions on things, but we are very close in our 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 beliefs and our worldview and how we see those things. So Dave replied to Tom Roswell's post. I I think perfectly, and I don't think anybody could have said it much better. So Dave said, "I appreciate Tom having a balanced view here. However, I would strongly disagree." Platonism is a transcendental and universalist proposition. This is completely incompatible with the heathen and foundational Indo-European theology at large. Heathenry is natural and determined with a clear, eminent understanding of cosmology. When the myths say that you die, then go to hell for judgment, and then are later reincarnated, you cannot then apply a philosophy that says the opposite. That, by definition, is a heretical understanding of the sources. Plotinists get around this by saying that the myths are just metaphors. Myths are inherited stories of a race of people. If the myths don't matter, then our creation doesn't matter, and then who we are as a people doesn't matter. It's only one step away from gender borders, and race doesn't matter. The Plato to Christianity to liberalism to woke death cult pipeline is objectively the case. Obviously, Plato is a much more sympathetic figure than the freaks having transgender thruples today but the lineage is there. Universalism is 100% heretical to the heathen worldview. One universal truth One universal morality is the foundation that globalism and transhumanism stands on, which is the opposite of our Germanic ancestors who were fiercely tribal. Heathens don't need platonism. All of the important questions of the human experience can be answered within heathen sources. At best, it's a distraction, and at worst, it's completely incompatible in places. Also, Socrates was literally executed for hearsay. So that was Dave Martell's response to Tom, and I agree with him 100% on these positions. A, a couple things that I would mention is, you know, where he calls Plato, you know, more sympathetic, and then he also references that Socrates was put to death. There's a couple points that I want to bring bring about this. I'm not sympathetic to Plato for several reasons. Uh, I mean, number one. If you believe in natural law, Plato was subversive to the concepts of the sacred marriage between a man and a woman. Their entire philosophy, and this is one of the charges that was brought against Socrates, was essentially uh, causing the boys to not be men. And... The entire philosophy is about breaking down the family unit where it becomes about individuals. You cannot read through Plato without reading all the homoerotic references that are made. And I know that people will say, for example, well, he was using these as metaphors and the concept was really more of like platonic love, Um, but he did not deny that a man, in fact, he He considered all sexual relations to be homosexual And this broke down the norms and traditions of the people Socrates was tried for these things One of the other things that Socrates was tried for One of the specific crimes Was essentially uh, teaching people not to believe in the traditions And the gods of that specific community So, to say that our folk didn't have dogma that they strictly adhered to, there were philosophers that were tried for these things. These were foreign ideas. These weren't things that were common. And if you listen to the first part in our Christian conversion series, the Germanic History Christian Conversion Part 1, I talk a little bit about the capture of the Jewish uh, tribes, the Israelite tribes uh, in like 500 BC I think it was uh by Babylon and then they were later freed by the Achaemenid uh empire which were Indo-European European people and and there were Greeks that were a part of this empire and helped them and after the death of Alexander the Great when the Hellenistic period began that's when the Achaemenids ended up freeing the Jews they were Even in history books today, they're applauded for their multicultural society that they built. And through this multiculturalism, this is how these foreign ideas crept into the Indo-European mindset, into their consciousness. What happened? The end result of every single one of them was the destructions of their empires, was the destruction of their people, was the destruction of their belief system. So that's a couple comments that I would make on in in that regard. And there's other examples in history where like Vespasian, he banned philosophers and killed some because they recognized that these ideas, these philosophies were corrupting their societies. You have any comments on any of that, Anthony? You said it before me that, you know, looking at these philosophies,
1: every place that these philosophies have. Grown, grown to fruition has ultimately led to the destruction of that group of people that empire and we see this time and time again throughout history we see western civilizations again bringing in platonism and we can even see it today in in, in America today you've got these platonic ideas and we we've touched on platonism in the new age mindsets not even necessarily in the spiritual but you know across the board and i don't think either side would ar- would argue against the fact that we are watching the degradation of our country and of our, and of our people and it's not even just our people we're watching the other cultural groups in this multicultural country being torn apart from the inside out by this philosophy and by everything that comes with it that you mentioned
0: right and the argument could because a lot of these people that follow these philosophies that identify as pagan uh will argue that well you know not everybody's going to go as far as how it is in modern days with the platonic ideas but the problem is, is that the very core of these Platonic ideas is this degradation, uh, like homosexuality, um, and the authority of the family structure. I mean, Socrates, part of his defilement of the men was the an argument that Plato writes about where he was uh, essentially giving an argument for a boy to justify him beating his father. You know, these are at the very heart and center of these philosophies. They are breaking down the family core unit, which is the opposite of what our belief system is. Ours is about creating and regenerating and keeping life going for our people, our folk, our families.
1: You cannot have a single weed in a garden and not have that single weed grow to choke out the rest of the plants in the garden. If you want your garden to thrive, you have to remove every bit of the weed. And in this the from my perspective, our folk is the is the garden and neoplatonism, platinism, these philosophies are the are the weed. You cannot pick and choose to have a bit of a weed on one side, the other, or at one spot, because that weed is going to grow and is going to kill everything around it and then grow and kill more and grow and kill more. It's the nature of a weed. Same with, same with an infection. You can't have a bit of an infection and have it not try to attack and grow and kill the entirety of the thing that is is infected you have to remove the whole infection period and neoplatonism is the weed it is the infection it attacks it attacks the family it attacks the folk it attacks everything it touches and that's just what it is.
0: Even the Christian, uh, they wrote about these same concepts, and this is how they justified the the spiritual conversion uh, of our belief systems into Christianity. Uh, a good one to bring up would be Justin the Martyr, wrote in depth about these ideas and how it essentially, for him, confirmed uh, this belief in Christ being the Logos, quote-unquote. Which was more metaphysical than actual historic fact. They they take this tradition and they put these philosophical ideas behind them, and then this is how they convince the people to stop worshiping the old gods and to worship this one singular so- source or god. Even they even though they couldn't entirely get away from uh, the the blatant polytheism of like the trinity and and such because these were just these concepts uh the number three and the number nine to our people were so intrinsic in their just way of the world view the way that they saw life and understood cosmology they even with the christian traditions they weren't able to get rid of these ideas so it was absorbed into those belief systems
1: i mean what's the saying when it's true it won't go away or it stays or something there's all sorts of twists on that statement.
0: Well, it's just like with the baby naming ceremony, as most people recognize that, or it's actually a name-fastening ceremony, uh, but the tradition of the Aul which is the sprinkling of the babe, or the baptism, as Christians call it. Um, the Catholics probably actually incorporated that exactly how our folk did that ceremony. Um and then later on it was more of a submersion type of baptism that happened. Although, um, there are, I think there's a couple historians or one historian that have wrote how the people in the North would dunk their babies fully in water in like ice cold water, which I don't find unbelievable, um, to harden the baby and the soul and, and, and such. But, um, the tradition that we know mostly is the sprinkling of the head three times.
1: Well, and the one thing that I thought uh, was interesting during the ritual was when you pulled a rune for the baby and you whispered it only to the mother and the child.
0: Yeah, so that, that's, that's kind of a secret mystery um, that is not attested. Uh, but it is something that kind of passed down where there is a secret name that's given to the child of where that soul comes from. And you whisper it to the mother so she, she will always know it and will be able to tell their child later in life um, and that the mother is a source. And that's done before the father, the child is set upon the, the father's lap um, and where the father recognizes that child as his own and gives a name to that child so we actually recorded that ritual and uh because of our bad internet it was uh, about a 30 minute ordeal uh which included a a few rounds of sumble with the ritual but uh where i live the internet is not very good so we haven't been able to get that video uploaded online i don't know if kurt and his family will give us permission to share it or not um maybe at least with the communities we interact with uh but uh it was a very beautiful ceremony i watched the video a couple times brings tears to my eyes uh when we get together next weekend for folksgiving we'll definitely show everybody the video that's here at my house
1: yeah that was that was a really beautiful thing i just (laughs) i just started laughing because your your boy was trying to ask about the secret rune and He's like, I know. And he's like, well, what is it? He's like, well, it wouldn't be a secret if we told you. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, off topic. It just came into my head.
0: <laughs> no, it's great. I like bringing up the kids because that's what this is all about. It isn't about you and I, it's about our children and teaching them this thing. And I, I feel really blessed that uh there are now starting to emerge people that were raised as pagans and um, my children will be is one of that one of those generations so we did a poll on our sacred stew channel in telegram where we actually asked people um what faith they were raised in before they became pagan and uh i found the results uh not that surprising most people were raised as some sort of christian uh sect so in that poll uh was catholicism protestant mormon jehovah witness islam atheist eastern orthodox or always pagan i should have had an option for all, uh, other in there but um overwhelmingly the results was protestant some form of protestantism uh, then followed by Catholicism, followed by atheists, and then the fourth leading number was always pagan. So that was thirteen percent of the polled audience were raised as a pagan of some sort. That's pretty amazing. I
1: look at that as a very positive upward trend.
0: Well, and you know the thing is, is f- to build a community, and I think that's really, really. Uh, excuse me. I think that's really where we go from the last conversation on the christian conversion is that we start now discussing the reconstruction part of things and that's going to probably you know take up uh, a couple episodes by itself i don't know if we're going to do it next week or in a month or two months we'll definitely still keep episodes rolling out in the interim from when we do that but I've already spoken with Mark Puryear, uh about this, and he's agreed to come on our show, to, uh, at least one of them, to talk about reconstruction of our faith, what it looks like, um, and what it will be moving forward into the future. Uh, for those who don't know who Mark Perrier is, he is the uh, founder and director of the current Nor- Noriana Society a uh, great man, uh, one of the most learned people in our faith that I personally know. And I, I feel very blessed to have been able to study under him for quite some time. I still listen and follow him as well. So, with our reconstruction, though, topic, we're going to have to talk about how to reattach ourselves to our spiritual traditions. Because just like the baby naming ceremony is very important, Um, it's important for us as individuals to also uh, be connected to that spirituality in a way that means something, not just in, you know, everyday life, but in our own personal uh, lives as well. And I want to talk about how to also bring about a Uh, or develop from an individual and attaching to a community and building uh, a community around you. This is a a very important conversation because I know that there's a lot of different organizations out there. um, And not, as you mentioned, you've had some experiences with a couple that kind of left a bad taste in your mouth. Um, And the problem with a lot of these organizations, which leaves that bad taste, is this top-down structure that they've uh, tried to implement in building their communities and part of that structure is not exactly natural to Germanic pagans because we have always been a communal folk and we had a thing, we had laws, we had certain ways that uh, decisions and ideas were brought about and I personally believe a lot of these top-down organizations build cults of personality where they are more interested in acquiring followers than actually um, being true and teaching true things about our faith and our religion and our history. So, what I want to discuss in part of the reconstruction is taking the individual from himself to his family to a a a clan, if you will, into a tribe, because we need to be working towards the future where our Folk eventually become one united tribe again. And the only way to do that is to build from the ground up. You cannot artificially inject or create kindreds and clans and tribes. It has to be organic. And Mark had written a book called the uh, Setian Book of Eight, which is the Setian Book of Clans. Uh, And it's kind of like a blueprint to the uh, way that we build back our folk, our belief systems, and our tribes and unite as a people. And not that the book needs to be followed exactly as is. I have my own certain thoughts and certain things that he wrote in the book. But I, I, I think that it's a good roadmap for everybody to look at, study, understand how we do this. Have you read that book yet, Anthony? I have not. Do you have it or where do I kind of I buy it on the Neurona website? Uh, you can get it on Amazon, but uh, I do have a copy of the book. Um, I think they just have a digital format on Amazon. You can buy it for like Kindle. It's a few bucks uh, if you want to toss a couple bucks their way. But I also do have a copy of it uh, I can share with you. But. Um, it's a really good book. It should definitely be on the must-read books uh, for people. Yeah, I will, I,
1: will, I will pick it up from you next weekend. And, uh, I mean, I'll definitely still buy it. But, you know, if you've got one readily available for me, to we do that in the meantime? Sounds good. So we're going to have a career at some point. Well, look, two big, brain mean, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be way
0: out of my league. Oh, man. No, he's, he's, he's a great person, and I actually feel very honored to have personally met him um, and had, a, I don't know, quite a few interactions with him in real life. And uh, behind the scenes, uh, I was with him on the board of directors of the Noriana Society, and uh, I, I learned a lot under him. Uh, there was a lot of great thinkers, a um, lot of great linguists and historians and people that really take our faith serious and so I, I feel blessed that he's agreed to come on the show and you shouldn't be intimidated. Uh, I'm pretty much going to let Mark have run of the show because even though he is a bit uh, long-winded, the, the thing is, is that every word that he says uh, means something because he knows what he's talking about. So, it's somebody we should listen more to than try to talk over. Ooh, all right. So, anyways, uh, getting back to the topic um, about family and the importance of it um, and building that, it's very important that we recognize, as we mentioned last episode, where ideas come from because we are teaching our children certain ideas. And I know... I'm not personally for like book burning or manning or whatever they call it, censorship, because I do think it enables us to understand history um, and how to have the correct perception of our traditional worldview. Um, But at the same time, it's like the TV. If you just give the TV, your child over to the TV for hours and hours and hours every day, you know, that's the information that you're feeding into their head. So we have to be very careful about that. Um, there have been people throughout history, including pagans themselves, that have banned philosophers. We mentioned Vespasian and uh, his son Domitian. Uh, they've both banned philosophers and killed some. Uh, so... How do you feel about this idea of the type of information that we give to our children in these foreign ideas and concepts? How do we protect them and teach them the correct way? Uh, Should we be authoritative about it where it's just like this is the way it is? Or should we teach them what these foreign ideas are? What's your thoughts, Anthony?
1: I think it's a slippery slope. Because... Let's be honest the authoritative approach would be extremely easy but then here's the thing is when you make something taboo that immediately piques the interest and it can oftentimes pique the interest to the point where people start calling into question what you're saying you know oh you're you're uh, you're hiding this information from me. It must be true or there must be some truth to it. So as with anything, it's, it's shades of gray. I think we need to be very direct on what is true and what isn't and why we say it's what's true and what isn't, but we still need to, we still need to allow access to that information because it gives a stark it gives a it gives the contrast and it gives our children knowledge of what other people are going to be coming at them with to undermine their faith in who they are
0: exactly and as a parent myself i have two children um that's the approach that i've taken where I explain to them th- these ideas. Uh, they hear me talk about it. Um, I feel like my children are way more advanced theologically and philosophically compared to their peers. Um, and a lot of that is has to do with when we see something that isn't right or if they're told something in their school that isn't right, I explain to them why it's not right and then I show them how they're being manipulated with that information so being able to give our children the empowerment of discerning truth from untruth um, is the only way in my opinion to to approach this Um, and i don't want to say that i'm sympathetic to like banning books or anything like that so if somebody takes my words as that that's not what i'm saying Uh, I credit a lot of, I've read all of these materials, and I credit a lot of where I'm at today with having this knowledge and spiritually evolving through the whole process, coming from a background that uh, was Christian. So I was raised as a Mormon as a child, and these are the ideas that were set in my head. And then I began seeing why a lot of these Christian ideas on my own weren't natural, plus my own personal experiences in my life spiritually um, that I obviously didn't understand as a child and growing into a teenager, into a man, and eventually understanding what those experiences were as I connected more and more to the traditions of my people, of my ancestors. The book burnings, doesn't, it doesn't do anyone any favors.
1: When it's all said and done, because if you burn them, if you get rid of the means of future of the next generation, being able to have any sort of understanding of what these things actually mean, then there are always going to be people that still understand these concepts and they twit and they pass them along their sides. And then eventually this same problem, uh, comes, it eventually comes, mutates and comes back. We can see this with communism, you know, people screaming about how we need communism. They don't, They've never really been taught the entirety of what it means. They've been sold on a simple fairy tale explanation. And we can see communist countries failing now. We can look at the past and see communism destroying countries and people. And yet they'll say, oh, but we've never really tried it. So, you know, and we can. Look again, kind of touching back on the Platonism and Neoplatonism. These, these words are thrown out. The vast majority of people don't even understand what they mean because or what what Neoplatonism entails, because it's not actually taught to the vast majority of people. But we see these ideas destroying empire after empire country after country degrading people after people everywhere it touches
0: yeah and except for the elite aristocracy you know the idea these ideas aren't really touched upon like you said it is more of a social class classist type of uh learning or education where these ideas are spread but um one of the things about modern, one of the things about uh, today's society is the idea, and we we touched on it at the beginning of the episode about this blackpilling that's happening, is people are growing hopeless because of this miseducation that they have, and it doesn't give them hope and. If you guys paid attention at the beginning of the episode, my, my daughter's name that I mentioned, her name is Hope. And that is a very Germanic word. Uh, and it means to have faith in the future. And for me, my my children were that. Both of them have very strong, powerful names. And my daughter represents everything about the name that she was given. Um We've mentioned our Ooflings program here in the Pacific Northwest that we have for children and we give away awards for certain merits and for the last two years, my daughter has won the knowledge award, which um, I find to be very hopeful for our future. Um, If we're not making it about our children and what's in their best interests, then we're failing our children. Conforming to what our society has become because of these philosophies that have infected every aspect of our way of life. Um, if we don't combat that and if we don't teach a new way for our people, that's all that there will be is hopelessness, blackpilling, But there is hope and as long as we breathe as a folk and as long as we have our blood flowing and we create the next generation and we teach them the right things to do then we will definitely persevere and survive long into the future but we can only do that if we start actually taking our traditions and our beliefs seriously. Because for too many people, and I've used this word multiple times in different episodes, our religion is just a game. It's mental or it's intellectual masturbation for them. They don't take it serious. So for those who do take it serious and you're asking the question of what can you do, the first thing you can do is attach yourself to your family and build that. Have children. Educate yourself in our faith and our tradition. Educate yourself in techniques for surviving in the world. Not just the natural world, but the current modern civilization that we live in. Because we can absolutely live our faith, faithfully, in today's world. We may not be driving or riding horses and chariots. We may have cars and buses and trucks but the day-to-day morality that we carry and the way that we live our lives our tradition um can absolutely live on and that's i think you made the comment before in the past about bringing tradition into the now and that is the path forward yeah and that's can't <laughs> we
1: can't live like it's 1000 a.d anymore we're in 2022 We can't go back. It's not even in the, and that's not, that's not even just practically speaking, like trying to go back to a time before again, goes against the spirit of our ancestors. Our, our ancestors were innovative. They were the, the past and the present were intertwined. There was no going back. There was only moving forward in the spirit of what came before you know the form might look different but the spirit of of the greater whole was the same forms change that doesn't mean the nature of it has to change
0: and what's the nature of it faith family and folk well that's part of the faith but yeah no faith family and folk and the simpler you keep it the less mental gymnastics you
1: have to do and the easier it is to stand up to these beta intellectuals that want to overcomplicate everything for the sake of breaking you and your family down because they don't have the sense of that and they recognize the strength of it. So in their weakness, they're the only option they have is to try to get you to give up your strength because they will never be stronger than you, your family and your folk. But when you isolate yourself from folk and family, you give up your strength. Absolutely.
0: And I think it was you that said in our chat that, and this kind of goes back to that dogma word, that these traditions or these set standards that we live by, uh, what that means is to take spiritual responsibility for our actions and how they affect ourselves and our family and the broader folk around us, the community around us. So I think that kind of sums it up. Yeah,
1: that was me, I was proud of that one. I don't know where it came from, but after I was done typing it, I was like, man, that's good, true. You know, again, touching back on the definition of dogma, you know, it is from a, I'm gonna take the word church out. It is a religious set set of rules, for what is right and wrong in actions behavior etc so to accept dogma is to accept a spiritual code of what is right and wrong it is not everything is permitted as long as it doesn't harm anybody so to accept that you accept responsibility like i said you accept responsibility that your actions have consequences for better and worse for yourself, your family, and your folk.
0: Yeah, and I think that absolutely ties 100% into moving our, our faith forward and what we teach our children. That it's important to teach them our dogma or these set standards for us to live by and pass this on. This is This is the purpose. This is what we are doing. There are so many of so-called spiritual philosophies about apotheosis or ascending to godhood, or transcendent enlightenment. Almost all of them are complete nonsense for the Germanic folk. We already have a masculine ascension here on earth that we can see. One that has stood since the primordial beginning of our folk. The All-Father, the Sky-Father, the Heavenly-Father. The highest gods or all fathers. The greatest rite of passage and honor, the holiest act a man can do is to become a patriarch. To raise strong sons and virtuous daughters, through them his name and deeds become immortal. This has been the Sacred Stew.
1: I am Anthony. My co-host is James. Y'all have a good night.